The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Councilmember Scott Benson. Councilmember Fred Durhall III. Present. Councilmember Letitia Johnson. Present. Councilmember Gabriela Santiago Romero. Councilmember Mary Waters. Councilmember Angela Whitfield Calloway. Present. Councilmember Coleman Young II. Council President Pro Tem Tate. Here. Council President Mary Sheffield. Present. Madam Chair, you have a quorum present. All right, there being a quorum present, we are now in session, and Councilmember Santiago Ramiro did submit a memo stating that she will not be present this afternoon. All right, we're going to go straight into our 2 p.m. budget hearing for the clerk's office. All those that are here with us, if you can turn your cameras on, everyone has been promoted. I think everyone is going to be joining us virtual. Yes, and if the clerk will note, we've been joined by Councilmember Benson and Councilmember Young. Clerk shall note. Thank you. So we're going to take a quick pause and recess. Oh, here they are. Oh, there they are. All right. Perfect. Good afternoon. Can you all hear me? We can hear you. Can you hear us? Yes, we can hear you. Good. Okay, we're ready. Yes, ma'am. Are you ready for us? Yes, ma'am. Go, go right ahead, Ms. Clerk. Okay, thank you. Uh, Janice, one for City Clerk, as you know, uh, our task at the City Clerk's office is to scribe for the council and to maintain public records and with the custodian keeper of the official uh, corporate seal for the city of Detroit. In a nutshell, uh, that's what we do as a division. And we will uh, begin our discussion of our budget with our finance manager, uh, Chris Maduga. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. <laughs> um, as, you, as Mr. Winfrey just alluded to, we'll be starting with the city clerk's office. Um, the narrative for the city clerk's office is pretty straightforward. From uh, fiscal year FY23 to fiscal year FY24, the budget has remained largely intact. Uh, we've met the city's goal of going 2.5% under our actual budget. Uh, our positions, for the most part, are largely, largely the same, and so are our operational expenses. So it's pretty straightforward in that regard. Um, and we were just wondering what questions you may have for us. All right. All right, thank you. Is that the end of your presentation from everyone? Yeah. Okay, all right, thank you so much. Uh, we will now go to questions from my colleagues and we'll start with Council Member Young. 
Thank you, Madam President. This is this is just for the city clerk, right? Not for yes, city clerk and elections. Department of elections. Okay, yes. okay. So city clerk. Okay, so uh, Madam Clerk, always good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Excellent presentation, everyone. I just wanted to ask you. Um, how does the city maintain reasonable, accessible voter registration sites throughout the city? How do we maintain them with your question? Yeah. Or obtain them? Well, let, me, let, me, let me suggest that you say obtain, and then we'll talk about maintain. Okay. So we, look, so we have requirements that are set forth by um, election law, Michigan State election law. They have to be public facilities, and uh, they have to be ADA compliant. If they are not ADA compliant, as the Department of and we need that facility, uh, then we do what we have to do to make it fit ADA uh, compliance. We maintain uh, those polling sites. Actually, we don't maintain them. Uh, the, uh, the property manager, or whatever one may call them, um, it maintains those properties. If it's a church, uh, it's up to the, 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 that facility to maintain um, the building. If we find that the lighting is poor or that uh, there's a problem um, with the public uh, restrooms or any space that our uh, voters may have to use, then we will look to move uh, from that facility. So in that nutshell, I think that's it. And, and just really quick, Member Young, I just want to make sure we're clear. We're right now in the hearing for the office of the city clerk, and then we'll move to the Department of Elections after. So if we can keep our uh, questions and comments to the office of the city clerk first, and then our second round, we'll do the office of uh, the Department of Elections. Member Young? Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, secondly, um, how many newspapers does the clerk's office use to notify the public, and who are they? So, Andre, I'm going to let you. Deputy Clerk Andre Gilbert. How are you doing? So, the clerk's office uh, currently uses the Detroit League News for all of our publishings. Um, and we also publish uh, online on our website. But the only newspaper we're using is Detroit League News. For the clerk's office. For the clerk's office. And then my next question I wanted to ask you, this is my final question. I wanted to ask you, from my understanding, you get funds for upgrading your technology do you get that from do you i think you get that from the state level do you also get that from the federal level in terms of help america's votes act so that's an election question okay if you want us to address it now uh council member young we will but uh the clerk's office does not receive federal dollars from um towards our budget okay ever no, that's it. Thank you. I'm done. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. I'm done. Um, Member Johnson. Thank you, Madam President, and good afternoon to the clerk's office. Um, so I noticed in the budget for the clerk's office that there is a proposed budget cut of about $273,000. Can you all speak to how that will impact your overall operations? Uh, in large part, it's not going to have a profound impact on our operations. The reason for that is during the budget cycle, OCFO informed us that a lot of the operational costs as it relates to things such as paying rent to building authority, uh, the utility costs such as electricity and uh, things of that nature 
are going to be removed from our budget and put within one central budget within the city for all the different departments. So the funding is going to be streamlined directly through OCFO, and they will pay uh, the bills for rental, utilities, parking, and things of that nature. So the decrease that you saw that was roughly 273000 roughly about 95 to 96% of that was exclusively for those things that I just mentioned. So again, rent, utilities, and parking costs. So it's not as though the costs aren't being paid, they've just been removed from our budget and they're gonna, every department's budget who's within uh, building authority or the city county building, should I say, uh, is gonna have it paid through one general fund. So it's not like it's not gonna be paid, it's just not gonna be paid directly from our budget. Thank you, uh, and if I can pivot to Mr. Watson, um... On a related question, can you identify where we would find that expense? Uh, through the uh, the chair to Member Johnson, uh, yes. So it will all appear in for uh, utilities and rent. It will appear in the non-departmental budget under citywide overhead, centralized payments. Um, for employee parking, we uh, consolidated that under the human resources department, um, being responsible for managing employee parking, the employee shuttle, and the like. Uh, our objective here was to simplify the both budgeting and transaction process for these payments. We can always still report out on you know, you know who has what shares of the cost. Um, but this ensures not only sort of a, a smoother payment process, but also uh, more centralized control and management to try to uh, manage those costs down over time. Thank you. Uh, and my second question to the clerk's office is, uh, can you talk about how you receive information or requests from the general public and um, how you would receive information from internally from anyone within City Hall? Yes, I can answer that. Uh, Andre Gilbert, Deputy City Clerk. Uh, so constituents can, well, they typically, they'll uh, come to our counter. Uh, they can give us information that way. But we also have a city clerk help desk email, which we receive requests, uh, petitions, and the like from. And we distribute them or distribute them uh, via email to council members, departments, or whomever may need that information. Excellent. In addition to that, uh, in addition to that, uh, council member through the chair, um, we also have a call center at the Department of Elections, and because uh, we're all one unit, uh, oftentimes that our call center will forward those uh, requests and information uh, requested to the clerk's office from the Department of Elections. So that's just an additional way that the public can reach out to us. Thank you, and all of that information can be found on the city's website. I presume. That is correct. Thank you. Thank you, Madam President. All right. Thank you, Member Johnson. Member Waters. All right. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, we did upload some questions to eScribe. Did you have an opportunity to see them? No? When did you do that, uh, Council Member? This morning. <laughs> Um, it's okay if you have it. It's okay. I don't, I, I, I'm going to say no. We, we haven't received anything that. <laughs> With technology, exactly. we never know, do we? Yeah. So, but, but, but anyway, Madam okay. Clerk, um, always a pleasure to see you. So um, 
Let me just ask you a couple questions. Why is there a nearly a $30,000 increase plan for fiscal year um, 25 salaries, yet we only show a $9,000 increase in benefits costs? Well, I can speak to that. Uh, as far as the increase in salaries, uh, throughout the budget for every department throughout the city, um, there's a cost of living adjustment. Uh -huh. So that cost of living adjustment is, uh, I believe, 2% for every position. So because we've got that cost of living adjustment, obviously the salaries would rise. As far as the benefits decreasing, uh, I've spoken to the budget department, and I've been informed that the French calculator for the benefits, the cost basically has decreased. I believe it was roughly around um, a two and a half percent uh, decrease as far as the fringe benefit. So, had cost of living adjustments for salaries increasing, but the benefit cost to the city have be have decreased. Okay, gotcha. Um, so. And maybe you've addressed this already. I don't know what drives the approximately 10% year-over-year budget reduction uh, with the majority of the reduction coming from an approximately $220,000 reduction in operating services. Uh, through the chair, uh, that's the reduction that I'm speaking to as it relates to the rental payments, the parking, uh -huh. uh, the utilities that uh, Mr. Watson spoke to as well, as far as it being streamlined and paid through a centralized account. Okay, all right, well, um, thank you, uh, Madam President, and um, you guys can feel free to just respond to the elements that we uploaded uh, in East Rive. Would really um, appreciate it. Thanks so much. Absolutely. We absolutely will respond to All right, thank you, Member Waters, Member Benson. Thank you, and thank you all for being here today. <clears throat> um, looking at your budget, and we talk about the operating operating services as an expense for 2024. We're looking at $578,000. What's included in that line item now in the $578,000 level? Uh, we have a few, but through the chair, uh, we have a few line items that are included in that. The overwhelming majority of that, uh, roughly 516,000, is for publication through the Detroit Legal News. When you got, when we have to publish ordinances and, uh, budget hearings and things of that nature. So the vast majority is through the legal news, but we also have other expenses that relate to the codification of the city code through the municipal code corporation. We also have transcription services, um, in which we have when we have to get court reporters to uh, deal with special sessions. So the bulk of those expenses are newspaper publications, court reporting, as well as uh, codification expenses, all of which are currently under contract. Okay, thank you. And those contracts is that by ordinance or by internal policy of the papers that we with whom we publish. Uh, those contracts are uh, through internal contracts that we have with the city that we've uh, obtained through the Office of Contracting and Procurement. Okay. Um, and then lastly, the $8,000 revenue line item. Can you just talk about that revenue line item, if there's an opportunity for growth there in the future? Uh, would you want to speak to the things that we sell as far as revenue? Oh, let's see. Oh. 
So uh, within our office, uh, a lot of the revenue comes from um, selling of the city code, uh, copies, charters uh, that can be purchased online. I mean, in our office. Uh, what else? Um, and quick claim deeds. Quick claim deeds, and also um, one of the um, lobbyist deeds. And the last thing uh, is lobbyist registration. Okay, is there an opportunity for growth in any of those in that line item there? Well, if anyone from the public would like to buy more, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, it's a small area of folks that are interested in purchasing those items. So. Um, I think one way that we can um, increase the sales and it, it's by letting folks know that these items are available to you for sale. So we certainly can ensure that's on the website. And, and to add to that, uh, those items are located on our website. Oh, okay. With instructions on how to purchase. Okay, so they can purchase online without having to come in to purchase? No, they will have to purchase in Okay. in person but the instructions can be found online on how they can you know what form of the payment we accept uh and the items that can be found within our office okay and then lastly um going towards the e-scribe system where we've gone paperless in many forms here um, at least at the city council table how has that impacted the expense on paper i just want to thank you all for helping to reduce our consumption of that um internally uh, to my knowledge, it's, it's reduced uh, the consumption of paper a lot. You know, go on, whenever you go from digital to electronic, uh, it makes it more easily accessible, whether that's online, and, you know, make it go a little bit more green. And historically, you may remember, uh, Councilman, that uh, oftentimes uh, we would have to copy documents from your staff, uh, council members' staff, because uh, you all didn't have the paper or you were running low on your paper. So we don't have that issue anymore. We don't have to copy uh, for you guys anymore. So that helps a lot. Do we know what the savings in paper cost was on that once you went to uh, East Crime? No, we, we, we don't. Was it significant? Well, we'd be more than happy to get the answers for you on that and submit those to you later in writing. But generally speaking, the city clerk's um, operating supply budget is pretty small as is. It's uh, roughly uh, it's roughly thirteen thousand dollars, I believe. In the past, it's been in a ballpark of around eighteen, seventeen to eighteen thousand. So we haven't had to pay as much for paper in that regard. So. Uh, in short, we've had roughly a 20 to 25% decrease. But again, we can look more thoroughly and get those numbers to you and uh, so we can have more precise information. All right, thank you very much. Thank you, Member Benson. Yeah. Uh, Member Calloway. Thank you, Madam Chair. And good afternoon, um, Madam Clerk, and to your teams. Always good to see you. Thank you. Yes. Did you hear me? Did you all hear me? Yes, I did. Oh, okay. okay. I, thank you. Oh, okay. 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 I just want to make sure I'm speaking up loud enough. Um, I have no. several questions that I'm going to uh, make sure that you receive. Um, and Smarchie's our guest through eScribe. But how long does it take for an ordinance once it's passed for the city code to be updated? That's a question. That's a question. Yeah, that's a question. 
So that's through our consultation um, process. And when we when we talk about a new ordinance, um, it's 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 all compiled in the codification and process. In other words, we will do supplements, which means amendments too, but in order to implement a new ordinance, we wait until we're done for the entire year and then we supply that whole document. But uh, Dennis Desert and Josephine Powell, who are our uh, who work on codification and our ordinance would be better apt to reply to that for you and I'll ensure that we'll get an answer for you in writing on that. Okay, thank you. That's my only question for, uh, for right now. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Member Thank you, Madam President. Uh, good afternoon, Madam Clerk and team. Um, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I wanted to first start off by um, congratulating you on this new tool that you have, this webcasting tool. Uh, I know that there are some folks who may not be familiar with it. I, I want to give this opportunity uh, for you all to talk about it and, you know, really um, take a victory lap because this is an opportunity for the community to, it makes it, this process a little easier for folks. Um, and then I also want to talk to you about, you know, costs associated with that webcasting tool. So, Madam Clerk. Thank you very, thank you very much, and um, uh, allowing us an opportunity to our horn, if you will. Andre, Deputy Clerk, will respond to that. So currently, uh, well, thank you for that question. Currently, uh, constituents can visit our website under City Council Agendas and Documents. They'll find a calendar. Within that calendar, we'll, uh, they'll see all the City Council's meetings for the week, the month. They, they're able to click on the meeting, click on the HTML agenda of that meeting and then click that line items to find the documents. And as they find the documents, they'll also see the tag video of when council spoke on that item. So that, that's what they can find on our website. I'm gonna pass this back over to Chris to talk about the, the, okay, the associated costs. Is that the East Friday? Yeah, well, for the, uh, the cost of that uh, also goes through eScribe. Now, we have a yearly licensing fee with eScribe, uh, which is $60,000, but that's for us to license their whole software. So they haven't charged us anything additional to add this uh, service. So it's still been the 60K uh, that we've had budgeted uh, consistently over the past several years. And if I may, council members, Mr. Chair, uh, you know, eScribe has different suites. Uh, and those suites allow us to be able to uh, upload or, or use different facets of it. So as we find something that we could use and, and, and that you could benefit from, it's no additional charge. We just will implement that particular suite. Correct. Okay. Correct? Okay. Are, are we looking at adding any additional tools from the suite uh, in, in our, our uh, process that we currently use? Always. Well, my thing is, in whatever way that we can improve our services to you, and we have the ability to do so, we begin to look at those things. So this is a year for us that we are looking into uh, eScribe very intently on the clerk side to determine are there other suites that we can begin to implement, and then might you be interested in um, using and utilizing those various facets of eScribe. 
Yeah, I just want to. I just hope that that the the webcasting portion and the the tagging is not a pilot because I've been uh, told by many members of the public how much they appreciate that option. Uh, instead of having to watch oh, the entire video, they can go directly to yeah. the subject that they're uh, concerned about. So, just wanted to mention that off the top. Um, Thank you. You're very welcome. And also talking about tools, you know, another thing that uh, folks have asked about over the years is an easily accessible way to identify uh, votes of uh, council members. Uh, is that something that is being contemplated? Is that a tool that's also available um, in the suite that can be activated? And if, if not, is yep. there something else that, that's needed that could you know, potentially be a cost associated? Council member, um, chair, you may remember um, that uh, that that is a one of the suites that were available. But the council prior to this council was not comfortable and didn't receive that well. So if you all don't want it and you don't like it, we don't use it. However, if you would like us to revisit that with you guys, we absolutely will because it is part of the suite that's available. Okay. Thank you, Madam President. That's my two questions. All right. Thank you, Pro Tem Tate. Uh, Council Member Durhoff. Thank you, Madam President, and good afternoon to everyone. Uh, first, let me state I do not envy the job that you do, um, particularly from requests from council members, other city departments, as well as the public. Uh, and I was kind of piggybacking off of uh, Council Member uh, Tate's uh, question, uh, just in regards to software, like looking towards the future. Uh, you know, for example, uh, when laws are passed uh, on the state level, you can go to michiganlegislature.gov and you can see uh, every public act that has been passed. You can search by sponsor. You can even search by um, particular subjects uh, and then get updates on those items, uh, you know, as the public acts change. And would love to have the opportunity to see that done as at the city level, obviously, uh, here at the council table, we deal with a lot of contracts. People have con uh, questions about contracts. They, you know, a lot of that information is online. The clerk does a pretty uh, great job at supplying that information, particularly to council members, LPD, the like. Uh, but are we kind of looking at that of how we can get there? I know that may ultimately be a goal. I know it's going to take some funding, uh, dealing with infrastructure. What are some of our ideas around that uh, and seeing if we can kind of get into that virtual uh, site or virtual space, should I say, to be able to have more transparency and more accessibility? Good. Um, thanks for asking. Deputy Clerk? So, yes. Uh, Right now, we're working with uh, the Office of Budget uh, to put out our RFP to see what new technology is out there, because we know technology changes. Oh, contracting, sure, sorry, not budget. But uh, we know technology changes at the drop of a dime. So we're exploring other options, seeing what's out there, um, and we'll be reaching out to your offices to see what items you may like uh, with uh, eScribe or whatever system we're using. And just to follow up on that question, uh, if you, you know, even if you visit, you know, michiganlegislature.gov, right, uh, and you are able to, well, not michiganlegislature.gov, michiganlegislature.org, uh, if you are able to visit that site, you know, you'll kind of get an idea what, what I'm talking about. It's very user-friendly. Again, you can search by sponsor, you can search by subject, and I think that's just a great way to keep 
you know, are public aware and informed about what is happening at that council table. So I'd love to have some discussions with uh, your office offline about how we can do that. And I believe that helps it easier for you as well, you know, relative to the workforce uh, and, and you having to spend so much time dedicated uh, searching through archives. You know, folks may have a question about what happened 10 years ago. Uh, and as you know, 10 years ago, we were in a different space in this government than we are now. Uh, and a lot of things have changed. And so uh, interested to have those conversations. The second thing is, uh, obviously, we're at budget season. People come before us all the time, and they're generally asking uh, for an increase in full-time employees at FTEs. Uh, and we noticed that uh, there's a net change of negative two uh, FTEs requested uh, this particular cycle and a de decrease. Uh, can we talk a little bit about that? I know we, you know, it was mentioned relative to fringes and benefits, uh, but what are we looking like relative with the net change? And then I understand, I think last time we had about seven, there were seven vacancies um, or seven vacancies as of 2023, but the net change of uh, two employees, uh, can we get a little bit deeper into that? Let me start, uh, Council Member, to the chair. Thank you very much for your question. Um, we do have an ask. So I'll start with that first. Um, we have a, uh, we, we want to uh, create a new, or not create a new, or establish a new city council, committee clerk. city council committee clerk. We only have one. We need two because we have a person who's sitting as a manager yep. and he's working out of class as a committee clerk and he shouldn't have to work out of class as a committee clerk because we need that manager position. So we are asking for an additional committee clerk um, uh, so that we can um, make sure that we have staff available at all times to serve council in that capacity. As it relates to the um, the other, I'll let Chris uh, go deep dive for you, but did you know we have people, uh, staff that are retiring all of the time? Um, and, uh, you know, that, that leads to opening. We prefer to move up from within whenever uh, that we can. That's the preferred method. It's easier to fit, to fill the, the lower positions than it is the, the, the more technical positions or the more advanced positions, if you will. But also, the pay is so low, it's not competitive, and people are not, either they don't take the job once you go through the interview process, or they take the job for a couple of months, and, and they quit because they find something better. We have gone before uh, this body, as well as uh, HR class comp, to get this one particular position um, uh, to get that, that uh, salary increase because it, in today's world, very difficult to ask someone to come to work every day because we don't have many options where you can work from home in our department and our division, and then you pay them very little. They don't stay, they don't want to stay, and we will continue to work with HR class comp so that we can increase the salaries of these openings so that we can get competitive uh, staff. Did you want to say Pretty much it. And as Mr. Lister alluded to, we know that there's rampant inflation. We know that the uh, labor market is tight and there are lots of jobs that are available. So a lot of people, when they choose to be employed at wherever uh, they're going to be employed at, they have a lot more options nowadays. So as Mr. Winfrey alluded to, yeah, we are looking at basically increase the pay. And, you know, some of those vacancies 
uh, have arrived because they're the backfield of positions. So we do like to hire from within because the staff is already somewhat familiar with the work and uh, they're expanding their horizons. Uh, part of the reason why we also had cuts that she uh, uh, didn't speak to, but we were thinking about and we were cognizant when we drafted this budget, is uh, we were trying to be fiscally responsible. We were trying to uh, we were trying to fall within the mandate that we were asked by OCFO to cut our budget by two and a half percent so that the city could remain fiscally solvent. Uh, so that was part of the calculus when we uh, did that. And then some of the positions were positions that were more entry level that we were having difficulty filling. And we're always trying to be mindful about how to stay in the black and how to keep the city in the black. Uh, so, and the city clerk's office has done a good job of that uh, over the past uh, several years. So that was what we were uh, trying to be cognizant of when we drafted this budget. And that's why we eliminated the position. And, and I, I, you know, I will say I'm inclined to agree with you when you look at salaries that are commensurate around surrounding municipalities. We uh, are at the, you know, lowest or the bottom uh, of the pole, as they say. Uh, and it would be great when we talk about retention, uh, when we talk about stopping a high level of turnover from some of our workers in certain departments, particularly the city clerk's office, to be able to get uh, salaries that are commensurate to other municipalities to ensure folks can stay and they just don't want to leave uh, and be there for a short time and main some, maintain some uh, level of continuity as well as institutional knowledge, uh, which is very important because, again, uh, I think sometimes folks think of the city clerk's office in just the term of elections, which we'll get to next, uh, but you're the gatekeeper of our documents. Every action that we take as a city. Uh, goes through the clerk's office, particularly here at the council table, and knowing that a lot of these ordinances are getting ready to, to come through. And my colleagues have great ideas. Um, you know, some of them are very complicated and complex as well. Uh, we need to ensure that we're keeping great records uh, with that. So, uh, just a follow-up question, Madam President. This is my last one. I appreciate your indulgence. Uh, the request that you have: What amount are we looking at relative to that one FTE? that you may need and request? Well, we know the salary range is at approximately 83000 to uh, roughly 89000 uh, When you calculate the fringe benefits to that, that would be probably another 31, 32% added on to that, but the salary range is 83 to 89 approximately. Okay, and so we're looking close about 140 grand, some somewhere around there, uh, just to be safe, 150. Uh, okay, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Member Doha. Okay, and with that, Madam President, uh, knowing that uh, that request has been making, like to have further discussion on this, I'd like to make a motion to put the city clerk's budget into executive session. All right. Is there uh, any objections to put this into executive session? Hearing none, uh, that motion is approved. Uh, we have several questions that we submitted in writing, most of which were addressed um, here at the table, uh, really wanting to get a better understanding of some of the features uh, of the eScribe software that is not being utilized, and so we can uh, put that in writing as well. I did just want to make sure I'm clear, kind of building upon member um, Dorhall's question. I see that there is a reduction in employees from seven to six for the assistant city council committee clerk. Is that the ask that you're asking for? 
from six to seven, or is that something different? No, that's something different. Okay, so we are losing a assistant city council committee clerk? Yes, that's correct. Can you explain the, the reasoning behind that and the, the effect that will have on city council's operations? So it's the, let me get the title wrong. It's the assistant that, that it's the assistant uh, city council committee clerk, what we're correct. asking for, correct? So with the assistant clerks, we currently have five in office. One is retiring. And we have, seven. it was seven total. Seven budgeted. There's seven budgeted. Uh, we, we're losing one because, again, as Chris alluded to earlier, we, we're trying to remain fiscally responsible. Uh, and we don't need seven committee clerks. So that's the reason why uh, we're losing that one. Because we've essentially been able to do the job with five. And that's not to say that we don't want to get that sixth one. We certainly do. But again, we were trying to be cognizant of the 2.5% reduction. And uh, we wanted to make sure that we didn't lose the sixth because we've been operating with five and we're looking to fill that six one. So we didn't think the uh, seventh was essential So we're not operation. losing any committee clerks. We've been operating at five, trying to get to six. Is that correct? Exactly. Okay. And the name of yes. the- Yes. Go ahead, I'm sorry, Madam Clerk. Well, I just want you to, to, to understand. So the city council committee clerk, which I'm asking for another one of, mm -hmm. is the clerk that uh, clerk your former session. Gotcha. And that's okay. the one that's that separate. very important. Yeah. Okay. There are very important, but in terms of uh, clerking your formal session, that's the ask for another. Okay. Is that clear? Yes, it that's, is. that's very that's helpful. Clear. Yep. Thank you, Madam yeah. Clerk. Um, and then just if you uh -huh. can speak to any capital improvements that may be needed in your office space at all, any capital improvements? Yeah, the, 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 the yeah, they, so they're giving me, yes, they want, um, we, we need, um, new, uh, new furniture and and all that that goes with it. So yeah, and carpeting, I understand the carpeting is 20 years old. I said that carpeting was new. I remember putting it in. They said, look at the numbers. <laughs> so I guess it is time to replace it. Right. So. Okay. Um, that kind of stuff, that's what we're looking to do over there. Okay. Well, I will, we already moved this into executive session, so I will get with you and your team on trying to get a figure as to how much roughly that would cost to get some of those more immediate uh, repairs that are needed done. Um, and then lastly, I just want to really thank the city clerk's office and all of our clerks. Uh, I know me transitioning to uh, council president was not easy, but the clerk's office has just been extremely helpful. Um, just their professionalism day to day. I mean, just coming back in person after two years being gone down to city council here in person, uh, they are just phenomenal. So shout out to all of our city clerks who uh, help city council day in and day out, get the work done, make us look good, assist us every day. Uh, you just have an amazing team and amazing staff. So I just want to shout out all of our council clerks for our committees and also our formal sessions as well. Thank you very much for that. That is so appreciated. I, we, we, have a, we are an amazing team together, and I am just so grateful for uh, my, the clerks there that, that, that do the job for you all because 
They make us look good. They make you look good. They make me look good. And we are just grateful. So thank you for recognizing that, Father. All right. Thank you. So we will now go straight into our budget hearing for the elections department. Yes. So uh, as you all know, the Department of Elections, uh, uh, for, uh, for the more, most part, uh, we administer elections for the city of Detroit and everything that goes with it in terms of uh, uh, identifying polling locations, uh, ensuring that uh, we are up to code as it relates to any uh, new proposals that's been passed to ensure that voters know what's on the ballot and what uh, and when election day is. And so our um, director of elections, Gina Avery, will assist and provide you uh, additional information along with uh, Chris Masuka, our finance manager. Alright, uh, so for the election department, this budget is essentially similar to the fiscal 23 budget as far as dollars. Uh, the fiscal 23 was roughly 14.3 million. This one is roughly 14.1 million. But there are some pretty key di uh, differences as far as new initiatives that we've undertaken for this election uh, cycle, uh, in large part due to uh, uh, the recent passage of Proposal 2 in uh, November of uh, 2022. Now, there are still uh, some matters from the state that we're looking to get guidance from, but we made an earnest effort to try to budget for these items without having the guidance of the state based off of what we think that they're going to ask us to ultimately implement. We also have some legislative changes that were made by uh, the Michigan legislature such as early processing for absentee voting, I believe it's today that we've accounted for in this budget as far as getting additional staff for poll workers to handle those things. And there are also just operational costs uh, and contractual costs that are different that we didn't have to budget for last year that are the result of state contracts, say for example, with Dominion voting. We're now responsible for the maintenance and the warranties of the equipment. For the first five years, it was the state's responsibility. Now, it is our responsibility. So we have to add supplemental dollars to account for those things. And we also have to add supplemental dollars to account for security changes uh, as a result of the proposal. I'm sure as you are all aware, as you know, that early voting is coming to us and it's coming fast. So because people are going to be able to vote early, we have to improve our security infrastructure and we need the dollars to improve that apparatus. So this budget takes those things into account. It takes the new contractual costs and it takes legislative items into account. Uh, so at that, <clears throat> without, excuse me. I'm going to turn it over to uh, our director of elections. If she has anything further she would like to add. Uh, if not, um, you can take questions. Well, what's, uh, Madam Chair, um, through the chair, this is Gina Avery, Director. Just two things I also wanted to mention for the proposal. As Chris mentioned, now we, through the proposal, we have nine days of early processing um, to, take, to take account for, and also mailing AV applications to all of our registered voters to see if they want to um, move forward to receiving the ballot for every election. So that's two additional proposals that were passed. I just wanted to make mention of. 
So if you don't have any questions, we'll take any questions from you guys. All right. Thank you so much to the Department of Elections. We'll go straight to uh, questions from our um, council members here. Two questions per council member, starting with Council Member Waters. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I just want to know um, um, what can we do um, as members of this council to, to assist you um, with election turnout and, and that kind of thing? Uh, uh, thank you for that question, um, Council Member Waters. Uh, and uh, through the chair, I'd just like to remind you that when we uh, open satellite voting, and the same thing will be for early voting uh, locations, we always ensure that we have at least one in every city council district. Mm -hmm. And, and but, but prior to uh, this new initiative, we've always had two yeah. in every city council district. Mm -hmm. And the act then is the same as the ask is now, in that you drive your constituents and your district to that satellite voting or, or, or early voting location. It matters. It matters in terms of uh, turnout. I know, um, uh, for instance, in um, Councilman Benson's uh, district, he, he wanted a mask, a mask and, uh, for a voting location, and we did it. He wanted uh, to, to have different voting events at this one, um, whatever that rec center is in your district, uh, and we did it, and we do it. That's the kind of thing that matters, and that's what would help us to get the numbers up. Drive those, drive the uh, voters out to the voting uh, satellite in your district, especially, especially yes. <laughs> Madam Clerk, Madam, okay. Madam President. Um, so I'm since I'm citywide, you know, I'm at large. <laughs> what do you su suggest that, that I do? <laughs> okay, that means, you know that, that that's a very good question. Very okay. good. Uh, we also have uh, very low uh, turnout districts and areas, and we can share that with you. And if you could drive your constituents to those particular area, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that would help turn out tremendously. Those areas obviously need help, right? They obviously need help because they're low turnout, low number, every time, all the time, um, and, and they, they, they need your attention. Do, do I, did I ask you that? Go ahead. If you want okay. All right. So uh, thank, thank you, uh, Madam President. So Madam, Madam Clerk, I, you know, it's always concerning to me when I hear you predict low turnouts, you know, and, and it's kind of, you know, it's heartbreaking because there's something that we are not doing right. I mean, just as elected officials, as, as a city, as a community, you know, we're not giving people a reason to want to go out and vote, I guess. And that has been tearing away at me. Um... So if, if you have a specific message that you think uh, we should be giving to people, I would really appreciate it because I, I just don't know what the answer is. So I wanted to put that back uh, on you guys uh, right there. <laughs> Mr. Baxter there. Of course. <laughs> uh, Madam Clerk, uh, thank you for that question. 
Madam Chair, um, just a couple questions. First of all, I want to thank you and your team for supporting my um, voter registration initiative at Mumford High School and Renaissance High School. We registered close to 162 students, and then um, Detroit Public School System came um, during the general election and actually transported the students to the voting polls. So I want to thank you for your participation in that effort, and we're planning to do it again do it again this May. So I'll be reaching out to your office, Madam um, Clerk. Yes, ma'am, we look forward to it. And thank you. Thank you for doing that. Those are some of the things that can be done um, to help turn out. So thank you. Yep, absolutely. And we, again, we intend to increase um, our participation in that effort starting um, in May, and that is through my Youth and Civic Engagement Task Force. Um, just, just another question, and trying to maybe piggybacking, piggybacking on what um, Member at Large um, Waters just alluded to or, or asked, our efforts to get the vote out, to get the information. I, I see a couple of billboards Every now and then, maybe a commercial. Is it the budget that keeps us from advertising, you know, our um, get-out-to-vote efforts? Um, Mr. Chair, thank you for the question. Uh, you, 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 you talked about the, uh, the billboard, and you talked about the television commercial. You did not talk about the most effective way of advertising and getting the word out, and that's direct mail. Okay. We email directly. Mm -hmm. Two, each registered voter household three times within a voting cycle. That's the most, the best way. But turnout, I know we don't like to hear it, but it's the truth. Turnout is contingent upon the candidate. Mm -hmm. If they, if if voters, and, and this is across the globe. I've been studying this for a minute now. If voters are not interested in the candidates, they're going to show you by lack of participation. Mm -hmm. So it is not that they don't know it's election day. It is not that they don't know what's on the ballot. It, it's simply that they don't care mm -hmm. about what's on the ballot. And it's hard and it's brutal as that may sound, and it's hard as it is for me to say, it appears to be the truth. 
When we want an initiative, rather we want we're for it or against it, but when we want it our way, we're going to come out and we're going to speak with our vote. If we don't care about it, we don't care about it. And you can simply look at the numbers mm -hmm. and look at the elections to determine what uh, turnout is going to be. Yeah. Madam Chair, um, just um, if I might, I thank you for that, um, Madam Clerk, and I'll continue in my efforts partnering with your office to reach out to young adults to reach out to those um, 17 and a half year old who will be 18 um, as of the date um, for the general election. And I will continue to work with your office in that regard. And I'm thinking that possibly could be part of the answer to our low voter turnout. Thank you, Madam Clerk, and thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you so much, Member Calloway. Um, and so quick question for me, um, and we wanna thank you as well too for the partnership. We have partnered with the clerk's office for the last eight or nine years for Occupy the Corner. You guys come out every single year. We register people to vote. Um, and so we appreciate you guys always being available for that as well. Uh, one of the things that we have advocated for is a citywide alert text message system that will notify registered voters of the primary election. Hey, it's the day to vote, get up, go vote and on the general election as well, too. When we talk about young people, sometimes just a, a cell phone reminder, something on their phone that reminds them today is election day to vote. Where are we in getting that system implemented, and is there a cost associated with that? So that's, that cost uh, part of that geofencing, and we started that in 2020, and we did that with the least likely voter, which is the young voter. Uh, those individuals that are, I think is the age is 35 and under, something like that. And we sent those texts out and, and, uh, and uh, you know, I, 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 they do have, um, I can't think of the name of the uh, but Thomas group, Caitlin, uh, if you want to speak to it, you can. But uh, they had numbers as it relates to, and I, I can share that with you, Council President, as it relates to the effectiveness of that. But, um, you know, uh, it, so, yes, we, we do that. We do. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was if it was actually taking place. I don't know anyone that has received yeah. one yet, but it's good to know that it has. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and the way that we did it, you wouldn't receive one because you're not a least likely voter, I wouldn't think. Um, I mean, you're not, I'm, you, you, if you vote on a regular basis, you don't get one. That's not the demographic we were shooting for. We're, dem we we're shooting for the demographic of the least likely voter. And we base that on um, not only your age, but your vote record mm -hmm. or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I would definitely want to dig a little bit more into it to see the effectiveness of yeah. that. Um, and we have questions in the memo for it. Uh, that you can answer uh, for us in writing. And then lastly, just the voter education and outreach. There's only $470,000 allocated for that. And so I'm just trying to get a better understanding of what all encompasses the 470. I know you mentioned mailings. It doesn't seem to be sufficient to really have a thorough outreach plan for voter education. Well, uh, uh, direct mailing, um, we do community events, as you all know. Um, as we do the billboards, sometimes we do the buses, we do the uh, commercials on television as well. But if there's anything that we miss, I always, always ask when I come before you all and, and, uh, and, and we speak about voter turnout and voter education. If there's anything we're missing, please, we'd be happy to know about it. So 
so that we can we can make it happen. We go to the schools uh, 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 and, and, and do voter education and do voter registration. Uh, we bring the schools here uh, earlier this year. Uh, we or was that late last year? We had the, the young people come in. Um, that, that might have been Callaway's group. Uh, member Callaway's group. I'm not sure, but they come in and and we speak to them and we show them um, what the machines look like and the like. We hold mock elections in the high schools using real machines, real ballots, so that they can uh, experience what that what that feels like and looks like. So. If we're missing something, if we're missing something, we certainly would like to know about it so that we can we can make it happen. All right, and I, it's not to uh, to insinuate that you guys were missing anything. I think you guys do a great job. I just want to make sure you have sufficient funding to actually cover the cost of what you all are doing. And I know uh, that in a lot of conversations that I have with the young people, it's you know they want more than just come out and get out the vote. They want to know how their vote actually correlates to quality of life improvements. I think you have to make the correlation for young people to really understand if I vote, this will happen in my life or this is how it impacts my life. So I think more education around what your vote actually means, how it directly impacts policies and things that are important to them is the type of voter outreach and engagement that I think will actually benefit uh, young people. Because we hear all the time from young people when we engage with them is that we don't want to just hear to get out and vote. Why should I vote? How does it actually impact my life uh, is what young people, I think, really need to, to, to be engaged more on. So we can uh, send you some ideas and work with you on that, Madam Clerk. Yes, and, and if you will engage me for just a minute longer, Council President, yes, that's the purpose of the mock elections in the high school. See, what we do with those mock elections, we work with that student council, and they determine what's on their ballot. For example, some of them wanted to be able to use their cell phones during um, their break time. They wanted different foods, in the, uh, not only in the vending machines, but in the cafeteria and the like. Those things were actually on the ballot, and they voted that ballot. And the outcome of that election happened in their school. So they were able to see the importance of their vote mm -hmm. because I voted to use our phone uh, during our recess. Now we can use our phone. That's exactly what we do, and that's exactly why the mock elections in the high schools are so, so important. Great, great. Thank you so much, Madam Clerk. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you, Madam President. Um, I know that, and I may not be up to date on the, the latest, and that's why I'm going to ask this question. I know that in not terribly long ago, the Michigan House Democrats voted to move the uh, primary, the presidential primary, to the fourth week of February. Uh, is that a done deal, Madam, Madam Clerk? Yeah, uh, well, Dana, speak to the, uh, if you will, speak to the mayor election. You're talking about the presidential primary or you're talking about yeah, the primary election? A primary, presidential uh, primary moving to February 2024, which, which is a huge, huge change from what we have done in the past. Um, so the, the question I'm asking is how are we, again, we talk about education, we talk about, you know, uh, it's, it's already difficult <laughs> with what we had. Uh, in place in, in front of us before with the dates. Now we're talking about a whole nother change uh, much earlier in the year than uh, previously. I mean, it's February. February, most folks aren't even thinking about election. Uh, so how, how are we looking to approach 
that change and get folks' mindset, even those folks who've been voting over the years, how we get right. to get folks to think differently about when uh, when is it time to vote and, and, and getting folks to socialize, understanding February is the new day. So, um, Councilman, thanks for the question through the chair. So, you know, we've always had a presidential primary in January or early February, right? March. 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 Okay, okay. Well, it was, yeah, the first quarter of the year. So, so, so that is a, is a new uh, a, a paradigm shift. But not only that, um, uh, Councilman Tate, we also, they're also considering moving the regular primaries from August to May. So we know we have to get those two uh, initiatives implemented and we have to educate the public. Right. In addition to, and I'm, I'm just going to give you the, the cursory view and see if you can do a deeper dive. But in, what we're going, what we're planning to do to address the change and when election day will happen, we are, in addition to everything else that we're doing, we're also going to run a Channel 10 information piece that we're working on now. Well, of course, we have to wait on the legislation to, to, to solidify, but we're working on doing a, a very, very um, uh, uh, succinct informational piece to run on Channel 10 every day, mostly all day. But, Gina, if you want to give a deeper dive. Right. Um, to, um President, come President, and to the Chair. Just as Ms. Winfrey um, mentioned, one, what we always do is mail out our newsletter to inform the constituents of what's coming up down the pipe, what elections coming down. And we're also going to keep our, up, uh, our website updated with additional information, just notifying people to let them know that the election has been changed from March to February and also from August to um, the May, I'm sorry, excuse me, yes. So, yeah, March and February um, election. So we, we're we going to continue to um, send out our notices as we do. We're going to continue to use our media for the TV um, and radio stations as we should, and we're going to definitely keep our website updated with additional information to come. And we have the opportunity when we send out those uh, absentee ballot applications, we're able to send it not to send out to everybody now. We do. That, that would be another opportunity um, to inform uh, our uh, registered voters. So every registered voter household will be hearing from us directly uh, via mail in addition to what we usually do and, and again, in addition to the new Channel 10 initiative. Uh, that, that's the message that we're uh, implementing to get this information out. Thank you for that. And, and seeing that we've indicated that you've indicated that the most effective means of communication is that direct mail. How far out uh, is the first mailing, if you will? And do you have a, a, a timeline? I think you indicated at least three hits. Uh, how often and how far out are we talking about from the actual election day? That they're sending? We normally, um, I'm sorry, um, through the chair, we try, normally try to send out our newsletter at least uh, 45 days before the election. So if the election is the end of February, we plan on sending something out before the end of the year. This year? Yeah, end of the year to start notifying um, voters. So, uh, um, you know, the laws determine when we can mail as well. Um, I think 75 days out, the applications, the applications go out. We know that's going to go out then. 
but we also have to wait on the state. Don't aren't we still in limbo? We wait to say yes. We're waiting on the state to give us the correct application verbiage. It, you know, since the proposal has changed, so we're waiting on the state for that. Yeah. Well, I think I was more looking at again when we start talking about the change of date for the 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 primary and, and um, the stick stick with the primary since that's we're talking February now. Um, how soon are we talking about getting information out about that particular change? Any little tweak, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that our folks will not, you know, uh, do what we need them to do, and that's vote. So how, how soon are we talking about it? This is one of those so-called dead years. Thankfully, we have time to kind of work towards building that synergy uh, for 24. Uh, when we know we're going to have some votes. But this year, what are we doing to get just the word out about the the changes and potential changes so that we can get folks best prepared. So we know we're going to do two things this year. We're going to do the informational uh, public television piece, and then we're going to do a direct mailing piece. We know we're going to do that this year. We have to. And we know our plan is to do it second quarter of this. Was it second quarter or third quarter of this year? Third quarter, third quarter of this year. Okay. And then my other question is regarding the current seven vacancies that I see. Uh, how how do we plan to fill those, and, and has it? How long have they been vacant? So that's the clerk's office with the seven. You want you want me to respond to the clerk's office? I think election has like a. I mean, 30, we have thirty five vacancies at election. Oh, I was, I was looking at the wrong one. All right, so let's talk about those thirty five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let uh, Chris give you a, a deeper dive, but it's, a, it's the same thing. You know, it's hard to bring people into the office every day. You know, people have gotten a taste of working from home, and they want to do a hybrid system. They want they just can't do that here. Unfortunately, unfortunately, just can't do that at the Department of Elections. Can't process a ballot from home, right? So they have to be here, and, and then... Um, they're hopping around. They're looking for that money. They're looking for that pay. They're looking for that pay. But Chris, you can do a deeper dive into how we. Well, we're currently uh, doing a lot of the same things that we're doing in the city clerk's office, working with HR to increase the salary. We've also done some position amendments, uh, basically eliminating positions that didn't pay as much for ones that were a little bit more lucrative and a little bit more enticing to um, potential prospects. So we don't want to eliminate our entry-level positions completely, but we also know that we need a little bit of something more to reel people in. So that's one of the things that we've been doing to try to get people who uh, can come in, we can retain them a little bit better, they can get that institutional knowledge, and they can ultimately really know elections well and we're trying to do it now while we're ramping up the February election so that, you know, we can give them that knowledge base. So those are some of the things that we're doing similar to the city clerk's office. But again, trying to get positions that pay a little bit more so that you won't have so much turnover involved. Right. Thank and you. also, in addition to that, if I may, I'm sorry. In addition to that, we also have a, a group, our young up-and-coming leaders, and you may have heard me talk about them before. These are people who work with us and, and, and uh, from all offices. And we bring them in and we talk about uh, things like um, budgeting and how to move ahead in your career 
and uh, how to uh, 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 pay into a 401k, how to purchase a home, We're trying to get them engaged into this thing called adulting um, so that they can realize that in order to get where they want to go, they have to have some consistency in their life. And part of being consistent is holding on to a job and growing within that job. And that's why it's so, so important for me and us as a, as a team to promote from within and, it, it, you know, as, as a way to keep them. You know what I'm saying? So we're, we're doing everything that we can to retain and grow our, uh, our base of team members. Thank you, Madam President. If I may have one more thing through the chair. Some of those positions have also been vacant because initially, uh, the one that I'm thinking of uh, that comes to mind, there was an office automation assistant. We've been able to have that position in prior years, but uh, we learned more recently that that's a position that belongs exclusively to do it. And there were roughly about seven or eight of those that are currently in our budget, so, but we can't fill. That's part of the reason why we've done some of those position amendments, but it looks as though we have 35 vacancies, which technically we do, but because we can't fill eight of them, uh, because they can only be exclusively used by do it, the number is actually smaller. And we've made those adjustments within our budget to account for those things. So we'll be able to uh, fill those a little bit more rapidly now that we're trying to get these positions ultimately canceled out and reallocated for other positions. Thank you so much. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Pro Tune. Council Member Benson. Thank you. <clears throat> and thank you all for being here today. And just want to say um, thank you for the cooperation from the Elections Department and the Clerk's Department over the years in the 3rd District. And as you, as you discussed, uh, Madam Clerk, the support of our community when they asked for a voting location at a mosque, at the masjid, to make them feel more comfortable, you all made that happen. And that was the first masjid that was a voting location in the state of Michigan at the time. I don't know if that's changed, but at the time, that was the only location in the entire state of Michigan that had a masjid that was a voting location. I'm very proud of that fact. Um, looking at your revenues for the election department, on page Bravo 71, TAC 10, looking at effective governance of city elections, $2.26 million um, fiscal year 25 forecast, skips over 24, skips over 26, although those are going to be election years as well. Um, what is the, is that only for a city election? Is that a committed um, influx of revenue from the administration, from the general fund? How is that being uh, forecast. Uh, through the chair, I can speak to that. Uh, that roughly $2.2 uh, $2 million is uh, basically a placeholder for revenue that we've gotten consistently from the state. For every presidential primary election, the cost of administering an election are reimbursable to the city of Detroit. Now, typically, uh, the election occurs in March. And a lot of the times we don't receive those dollars actually until the next fiscal year, which would be FY25 in this case. And in that fiscal year, generally we will we'll receive the check roughly in October or November. 
And I know by that time, a lot of the stuff with the cap were being finalized and whatnot. So we placed it in FY25 because from an accounting standpoint, that's when we actually received the dollars. Now we expect to get those dollars uh, reimbursed for the presidential primary election. But at the same token, it may be lower, it may increase. It all depends on the guidance that the state gives us as far as the newly implemented things that we have to do as a result of proposal two. So that was the number from the last presidential primary that's being used as a placeholder. Okay, and then are, you see the just below that on the Department of Elections grant funds, those are zeroed out from fiscal year 24 moving forward. Is there a reason that we're not either booking that grant in that area or that we're just not anticipating grants? Are there grants out there for the clerk's office to help support um, elections? And then I mean, you've got an election in 24, 25, as well as 26. Are there additional support opportunities for the elections department in those um, election years? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm sure uh, through the chair, there are always grant dollars that uh, we're looking towards getting. Uh, just recently, uh, our department was able to successfully get a grant of $300,000 to help offset the cost of uh, poll workers. That grant, uh, I believe, went before your body uh, sometime in February and January for uh, 300K. So, yeah, we're always looking for grant opportunities. The state typically uh, offers grant opportunities that relate to uh, security grants. I know for the last election in November, uh, as well as the August election, uh, we were able to get reimbursed on various security expenditures for cameras on drop boxes, uh, security guards, uh, basically security expenses in general. So the state, uh, federal government, and now with the passage of Proposal 2, uh, we're also going to be looking for private grants. And we were fortunate enough to get uh, grant dollars for the 2020 cycle, and we're going to continue to look for those opportunities. Okay. <clears throat> And then lastly, um, as our defenders of democracy, um, we know that we need to fund you. It's, it's not free, nor is it cheap. Um, this past February, this last month, we uh, approved a million-dollar budget amendment to the Elections Department, which tells me that there may be a need for a greater infusion of capital or cash, this operating cash, into the Elections Department, and maybe about 7% more, which is about 7% uh, what your total budget is, I believe, the uh, million dollars. Can you just describe how that came about and what is that you actually need? Are we actually funding you all properly when it comes to administering our elections? If or if you all are needing a $1 million budget amendment. Uh, through the chair, <clears throat> uh, last year uh, when we submitted our budget, uh, we did ask for additional dollars. Unfortunately, we weren't granted those dollars. Uh, most of those dollars were asked for to cover the cost of poll worker payments. And I know you guys, um, you know, took it to executive session, but unfortunately, we get it. There are lots of other departments. There are lots of demands. There are lots of people who would like to increase their budget. And ours didn't make the final cut, the request for that. But as Mr. Winfrey alluded to, Poll workers aren't cheap. We have additional contractual costs that we haven't had to deal with in the past. I mentioned a few of them earlier, such as uh, the maintenance requirements for the voting machines that we now have to deal with. The state paid for it during the first five years. Now the onus is on us to pay those expenses. Uh, security 
expenses. That we did have to pay up front. And even though I mentioned that we did apply for a security grant, the state has yet to uh, reimburse us. And to this day, they haven't told me exactly when it's going to come. But uh, the largest expense for us is uh, obviously poll workers. But to be frank, it's just not cheap to pay poll workers given it economic environment, rapid inflation, and uh, labor shortages. So, in short, uh, yeah, we would uh, like more funding. I'll show you over here that from a variety of departments, but I'll let Mrs. Wynn for you. No, I think, I think you, I think you uh, shared uh, nicely, but we, we, we're, we know that um, with this early voting, we know that's going to um, require us to do things a little differently that may cost us more money um, in terms of uh, being able, we, we have to do a minimum of nine days of early voting. So that's securing that staff. Um, and then if we're able to, we're going to have to bring in those poll workers at uh, Huntington a little earlier, correct? Same, same so time period. Same time period so they can process uh, uh, those ballots. Uh, actually process those ballots. So, and then we have the front end of the uh, reliable, right? Yeah, that, that. That, that we have to pay for. Thank you, Chris. Um, so <laughs> we know that we're going to have some um, some additional costs, and so we're very grateful um, to receive those additional dollars. But you know, unfortunately, we go over with coworkers because we have to pay them. In order to get good poll workers to retain those good poll workers, we have to pay them. And uh, so, you know, we can always uh, use additional dollars in that way. And security is going to look a whole lot different now because we're actually processing those absentee ballots early now. It's going to look a whole lot different for us. So, and we don't quite. So, Madam Clerk, in order oh, yeah. to be done with this, Madam President, so and I appreciate the budget, and I appreciate you all being as conservative and as fiscally responsible as possible. But you all are defenders of democracy, and so this is also directed at the budget department. And I saw the mandate to reduce by two point five percent, but that million dollars represents a seven percent increase in your budget, which means to me you all really needed that because that was a cost overrun. Although, if I'm not mistaken, you all asked for three where someone can say that we got off cheap by only providing one. So, but if you ask for the seven, for the $1 million up front, bumping your budget to about 15.5, then we don't have to go through those machinations at a later date. And we can actually have a more realistic conversation about what it actually costs to run our elections versus having to worry about a budget modification at a later date because we didn't properly fund you to begin with. So I'd just rather see a more realistic budget, and then we can have the conversations about cutting, or we can just figure out how to better prioritize our elections, which are so critical and key to us as a city, and we know the type of feedback that we get nationally around elections, and if we don't administer elections properly here, what type of um, attention that we will get. And it's not the attention that we want, or is the one that we deserve, because you all work very hard and do a very good job. I just want to make sure they're properly funding that department, that office. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we have All right. Thank you, Member Benson. Member Durhoff. Thank you, Madam President. And uh, let me first say elections in Detroit have come a very, very, very long way. Um, as we speak about 
funding, uh, I can remember being in the state legislature and Madam Clerk, you coming up there urging uh, the legislature at that time to fund those voting machines with HAVA funds that we got from the federal government. Uh, and when we talk about what they uh, owe, because I'm no longer there, I'm here now, what they owe uh, to the city of Detroit regarding paying us back for some of that equipment. I'd love to have discussions with you offline to see, you know, if we can strategize to be able to get some of that funding, considering that they are in budget season as well. Um, but with that being said, I know you and I, you know, I remember working side by side with you trying to lead the, the fight up there to get new voting machines. Uh, folks don't know there's a regulation and you have to replace them so many years. Uh, I believe it's still seven unless something has changed. Uh, and it is 2022-2023, I believe, when we were up there fighting, that was close to seven years ago. So what does that look like going forward, uh, you know, regarding uh, considering that HAVA funds have not been flowing uh, like they were? Uh, what does that look like? I know that puts some strain on us. What are our ideas to strategize to be able to prepare for these new voting machines? It may be 10 years. I can't remember what it is. But uh, obviously we're getting to that, that point uh, so we can kind of <laughs> cut down. Uh, on folks uh, who uh, challenge these challenge these elections uh, to no avail, by the way, uh, because of some of the great work and how we've come a long way. How do we get there to, to ensure that we're going to have the equipment that we need? Well, thank you so much, um, uh, Councilmember Uh So, one way that we uh, combat what happened, combat what happened in 2016 in terms of our the voting device voting devices to work very, very closely with the Secretary of State's office, which is what I've been doing. Um, what, when we told, so they wanted to get voting, new voting uh, machines every 10 years, and I'm an advocate of looking at it at the fifth year. But because I'm just the worker bee of elections, I'm the one that has to work with the equipment, but I'm not the one who has the final decision, that's the county clerk, and I'm not the one who pays for the process, which is the Secretary of State. So I, my thing is always working closely with the Secretary of State to get them pushing and moving to get those IRPs out so that we can get these vendors to come in and, um, and, and display their wares. That's what I uh, will be working with and reaching out to her very shortly to ensure, even though we have a few years, we don't need to wait until the 10th year because what happened in 2016 when we were supposed to get our new voting equipment and we did not um, was because they had a mistake in the RFP and they had to do that all over again. Well, you all didn't know that. My voters didn't know that. A voter said Detroit had bragging machines. Yeah, we did. Yeah, and we did. But it's not Detroit's fault because, again, the RFP comes from the Secretary of State and the money, and then the uh, county clerk makes the final decision. The county clerk usually is right on point doing what she has to do, but if, if, it's, not, if it's not coming from the head, we can't move, right? So again, I do the grunt work, so it looks like, you know, we aren't, it looks like we aren't doing what we're supposed to do, and that's not the case at all. That's why I make it my business to maintain a good, healthy, working relationship with the Secretary of State, and to let her or him know, because it's, you know, it's there, I've worked under and with several Secretary of State now, but I have to nudge them at the five-year point, which is what I've been doing, 
hey, let's get these proposals going, this IRC going, make sure it's tight, so when these vendors come in, we can pick our machine and, and go from there. So that's, that's the key, is working closely with uh, the Secretary of State to ensure they get that IRC out, and that's what we'll be doing now, because we're at our, what, six year now? Six year. Yeah, we're at our six year now. And you know, the, the first time for her was, you know, you gotta learn the job, and, and, and I mentioned it to her first year, a first term, so now I'm like, let's get it done. So we're looking forward to um, making that happen, but again, it, it, it's really um, not my call, because <laughs> I don't pay for them and I don't do the IRT. Absolutely. And let me say, I, you know, a follow-up through you, Madam President. Uh, again, we, I, I believe we have two of the best clerks uh, in the state of Michigan, uh, our county and our city clerk. Uh, what I will say what I will say is uh, if I can be of any help, again, with the legislature or us from this council table making that push to articulate what we need, I mean, let's be real. Uh, we have We're the largest city in the state. Uh, we have the most registered voters in the state. Turnout, we're trying to work on that. Uh, however, we process uh, so many ballots, uh, more ballots than, than a lot of other municipalities and, and even counties for that matter. So I uh, want to make sure we're doing everything from this table to get the funding that we need so we don't get to that 10th year and we're stuck in a spot okay, uh, where we're rushing to get stuff done because with new machines also involves training. Uh, and training has to be implemented on those, on those machines to ensure uh, that they are monitored as well as operated correctly. So I look forward to working uh, with you on that. The second thing is that my question was pretty much answered about poll workers, so I won't ask that. But one thing I will ask uh, is something I get to my office a lot of times as a chair of the Disability Task Force. When we talk about accessibility to polls, uh, we get a lot of questions from our disabled community uh, and first, I want to say I want to share some of the, that feedback that we get uh, with your office uh, relative to elections and, and how we can do that. Again, I know sometimes funding is a barrier uh, as well as policy, uh, but what kind of you know, strides are we taking? Uh, can you talk about some of the progress that we have taken or, or uh, progress that we've made, should I say, uh, to ensure that folks of our disabled community have access uh, to our polls, whether that be closer doors uh, whatever that may be. Can we touch on that a little bit, Madam Clerk? Absolutely. So one thing that, uh, a couple things that we've done, we work with the, uh, we have our own uh, ADA uh, uh, committee uh, that includes members of the ADA uh, society working with us to ensure, because I, I always tell the story, you know, we go out and make sure that our buildings are ADA uh, compliant, but uh, when we went to one uh, building in particular, and we had one of the members who happened to be blind from the ADA committee uh, uh, reached out and, and did the, uh, the Braille on the elevator, it was upside down. How would we know, right? How would we know? So that's why it's important that we involve and work with uh, the ADA community. But the other thing is the greater majority of the public does not understand or fully know what's required, what's considered ADA compliant as it relates to a polling location. So as it relates to a polling location, we are not required, we are not responsible for the uh, drinking fountains. We are not responsible or required to ensure that the bathrooms are ADA. That's not uh, what uh, polling places are uh, required to uh, uh, to do. 
what the state election laws require is that the actual uh, room that the voter will be voting in is accessible, that the door that they go in is accessible, that the parking that they're to park at in terms of handicap parking is there for uh, for them. So of our over 200 buildings, how many locations do we have? 169 now. Okay. Out of our 169 um, polling uh, locations or actual buildings, we have less than 10 that are not in compliance. Correct. How many do we have that are not in compliance? Seven. We have seven that are not in compliance. So what we're doing during this, our one little crisis off season, we are going out and we're visiting every last one of those seven um, that are not in compliance, and we are ensuring that they are compliant by either making the modifications or changing the polling location. Thank you, and and again, I'll, I'll have further questions. Would love to just have you come uh, in front of the Disability Task Force, not you per se, but somebody from the department, to just talk more about that. I know, again, you guys have the committee, and we have a member from the uh, ADA community on there, uh, but just to you know share some of those things with the task force uh, and members of the disabled community would be great, and then also have the opportunity just to hear some of their recommendations. Again. Oftentimes, folks reach out to our office, you know, and, and we've gotten better, um, you know, as far as even shortening where these rooms are uh, at the location, even for seniors and, and folks who, so they don't have to walk a long way. I, you know, I can attest to that, uh, even visiting in the last elections. Uh, but I know you guys are working harder uh, to to do that. But I'd love to have you come in front of the task force so we can uh, they can give we can give some of our recommendations and then also uh, provide that educational piece of uh, what can be done. Uh, with that. Uh, really quickly, finally, uh, this is piggybacking off of Council President's question. I'm sorry, Madam President, but just really quick, I was trying to tie it into my last question. When we were talking about the automated text message, uh, sometimes, again, you guys, we have the buildings, uh, but you don't know what that's going to look like on the morning of elections. So that means that that building could have had a fire the night before or we find out we get there at 5 and 6 o'clock in the morning and it's flooded. And then, you know, the polling locations have to change. And so it's more of a comment. But if we could, you know, try to get something implemented relative to those last-minute text messages to voters and saying, hey, you know what, this morning you didn't know, you thought you were voting here, but your polling place has just changed because this has happened. Uh, if we were able to provide some funding and help you guys out with that, I think that would help residents and voters as well. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you, Member Durha. If I may. Mm -hmm. Yes, go ahead. If I may respond to that, Council President. Yes, go right ahead. So that's the order of the day when you administer a, a, a real live uh, action, um, like we do on Election Day. And so when a building is flooded out, when a fire has happened overnight, every change of a polling location that happens within the 24-hour event, we have at every entrance a poll worker there in uniform with their uh, poll worker t-shirt or, or labels to indicate that they are a poll worker, letting a prospective voter know this is no longer uh, a polling location for today due to whatever emergency. We direct them to where they're going by way of a, um, we have a little uh, map thing that we give them, as well as a green card that lets them go in the front of the line. For every and we have it posted, a posting on that location. That's what we do for every uh, 
polling location that has an emergency uh, within 24 hours of the uh, event, election day. Okay, Thank that's you. great information. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And again, love to talk to you offline about some of those things as well. Thank you, Madam President. All right. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank you, Member Durha. Member Johnson. Thank you, Madam President. Um, the first question that I have is relative to a discussion that we had last year in internal operations relative to the Elections Department consolidating offices. Um, and I believe there was um, there was meant to be a fiscal impact by consolidating offices. I'm not sure if that has happened already, um, but if so, can you talk about uh, the operational or fiscal impact that decision has made? So, um, through the chair, Councilmember, I'm not sure what you mean by consolidating offices. I, uh, we have several different, we have several different divisions, we have the archives, we have um, uh, uh, the actual clerk's office, those are in City Hall, then we have this building on, on the boulevard, and then we have the Lafayette building, which is now uh, our equipment and um, technical building. So I'm not sure what you mean by consolidating offices. So I believe it was relative to activities of poll workers. Um, there were, poll workers were working in different locations or um, that in the Huntington place where uh, ballots were being tabulated and there were, my understanding was that there were a lot of different activities happening in different locations and there was a contract to bring all of those activities in one space where there was parking um, within that facility that would help reduce costs for the elections department. Uh, so I believe uh, through the chair, you're talking about the Lafayette building contract. Uh, previously, uh, a lot of our operations were housed inside of the Department of Elections. But as the pandemic hit, as a proposal in 2018, which expanded no reason absentee voting, but especially as the pandemic hit, uh, we needed to expand our apparatus to process absentee ballots. The space that we had up here simply was not sufficient. So, uh, to not only process absentee ballots, but also securely store our voting equipment. And one of the things that we have to do uh, for a few elections, and when we were getting ready to set up for the election and prepare for it, we had, uh, because we revamped our building to process more absentee ballots, we went, ended up going to Huntington Place and hiring security, had to pay parking, had to pay to uh, rent the rooms. And by us getting our own facility, we didn't have to pay those absorbent costs to Huntington. Now, obviously, we still have to pay the rental costs, but we didn't have to be on their time because they also have, obviously, various events going on. So we didn't have to be at their mercy for them to be able to give us the facilities that we need. And, you know, the parking and security costs, well, the room rentals, daily were pretty expensive. So it gave us more control and access as far as the building. So it helped us to reduce costs there. Now I didn't completely reduce our costs because we obviously have to uh, pay the rent at the facility. But it gave us more control, uh, a bigger facility, and more access to it because we have 24 uh, access around the clock. And 
It prevented us from having to constantly keep moving the equipment back from Huntington Place to the department because that cost us more money through moving expenses, which we have a contract for. So not all the costs have been uh, eliminated, and I can give you a breakdown uh, at a later date with the exact figures, but moving costs have been decreased, but it's also given us way more flexibility to control every single thing that happens within that building without having to be at the mercy of which room we can get or pay their part or their security costs. Excellent. All right. I have, I actually have the breakdown. I just wanted to make sure it was a good decision on all of our part. Uh, so it sounds like it was. Thank you. Thank you. I apologize for not understanding the question. No problem. No problem. Uh, my other question is, so uh, it's indicated that one of your goals or strategic priorities is to ensure and place emphasis on transparency in the election process. Uh, can you all talk about how you plan to do that? Well, one, one way uh, that we do that is um, it's a continuous process in, in my eyes. And um, one way we continuously do that, besides direct mailing, um, we hold press conferences um, prior to every election because uh, when we want everybody to know uh, what we're doing when we're doing it. So those press conference that, conferences that we hold are meaningful for us. We have an opportunity prior to every election to come before Detroit voters and say, this is what, what's going to happen, this is what you can expect, this is what you can do, and this is what you cannot do. That's the greatest way uh, that, that we provide transparency. In addition to that, we follow uh, the, the law to the letter as it relates to um, testing of equipment, the, uh, yeah. public accuracy oh, test, yeah. and, and those kinds of events that happen prior to every single election. Okay. Uh-huh, please. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, through the chair, one of the other things that we're doing to increase transparency is, uh, many voters may not know this, but previously we had a, a app called Ballot Tracks. Oh, yeah. In which when a voter's ballot was received, it was sent them text notifications because uh, in the past, prior to ballot tracks, uh, a lot of voters would call to say, hey, is my ballot received? What, what part of the process is it, is it in? Things of that nature. Uh, you guys recently approved some capital funding for us to get the first half of the machine called Reliable. So it's going to allow them to see where uh, their ballot is from start to finish as long as they sign up for it so that they'll have uh, confidence and, tra and have transparency knowing, hey, we got your ballot, it's been processed. So it'll cut down on the call and the citizens can know that their ballots were ultimately counted. So that's another way in which we do it. Thank you for that. Yeah. And as I know we were talking about voter education and outreach earlier, um, I would think it would be a great suggestion or a great idea to make sure uh, voters know about ballot tracks because I think that the more people know and um, feel confident in knowing that their ballot has been received and processed by the elections department, it helps them to feel confident in the entire process. Uh, and I think that just helps to continue to increase voter turnout. And if I may, I, when I spoke about ballot tracks, 
That was something we've done in the past. So I want to make something clear. As a result of the passage of Proposal 2, the state is now taking on that endeavor for all jurisdictions within Michigan. So they can go to the Secretary of State's website and find that out as well. And our, our reliable machine can help send out messages about this. So the onus will be shifting a little bit more to the state, but we're going to be putting out the word to let voters know. Go to the Secretary of State's website. There's a, a link that says, I don't remember the exact language, but uh, where's my vote? Uh, once I get that, I can send that to your office. But the proposal is now saying that the state, the proposal too, will take up this endeavor. Chris, go to our website and link it to yes. the state. Okay. Yes, I was going to say. Right. Uh, what, what George was uh, reminding Chris is you can go to our website and it will link to the uh, Secretary of State website. And additionally, uh, Councilwoman, uh, we also have the ballot track information on your election connection newsletter. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Madam President. All right. Thank you, Member Johnson. Member Young. Thank you, Madam President. The thing we're going last is everybody's asked multiple questions. You're going to ask where you go. Um, <laughs> but but here we go. Um, I, I just, I just, no, it, it was, I, 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 I didn't be, I'll just be, I'll just try Nobody to be Nobody has to go last that, at some point. That was my failed attempt at humor, <laughs> obviously. Go ahead, remember, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you primarily, and I want to preference this in a, uh, in a statement first, because from, and you, you spoke to, you kind of alluded to it, but, uh, in the past there were issues where the poll books didn't match the, um, voters from my understanding. Let me make sure I have this explain this properly, where you either have too many or not enough ballots to match the poll books. And under Michigan law, precincts cannot be recounted when the number of voters in the poll book do not match the number of ballots in the ballot box. And so I'm saying that to say, you know, despite obviously not having state law to deal with that, what are we doing in terms of updating the voter rolls? Because I understand a lot of this is human error. You know, and some of that you're not going to be able to deal with because it's human error. I get that. There's only so much training and training kind of got asked, you know, before I got up here in terms of how you're investigating. But just kind of tell me what you're doing to kind of update the roles, because part of that is the updating of the roles. How often do you update the roles? And then uh, if you were to update the roles to make them current, how much would that cost? Would you would we need to increase more money in this budget or not? So thank you for your question to the chair. So um, you got to think two different things kind of mixed up. Uh, we, we maintain a, a, a voter roll consistently. That's what we do on the daily every day, right? Um, but what you're speaking of is uh, in the event of a recount, a canister can't be recounted because the number in the precinct poll book okay. doesn't match the number of ballots, right, uh, cast or issues. Right. So uh, what we do, and, and you're right, that is human error. Uh, the, the, maybe the seal number on the poll book doesn't match the seal number on the canister. That's another uh, unrecountable. One thing that I always, always, always do is fight legislation to update our uh, our law so that every canister is recounted every time. But what we've done and what we're doing as of late, if you've noticed, um, Councilman, um, and if you haven't, I'll remind you that our uh, recount, not recount, our uh, uh, canvas has been balanced 100% 
the last two elections, ever since 2020, how did that happen? Because now we've broken our work up. Another reason why we need more poll workers. We've broken our work up into smaller segments. So poll workers don't have a whole lot to do, if that makes sense, right? They have less numbers to contend with, right? And the other thing that we do is we now use a wand to uh, scan that information in, right? So that we don't make those human error mistakes. So that we don't have Coleman Young voting twice when actually it was senior and junior. That's a huge problem that happens a lot, right? So we use the, uh, what do we call it? Scanner scanner and scan a barcode that's associated with that uh, voter. And that helps us significantly in getting to that 100% ballot at the precinct. Okay, excellent. And um, you also brought up something about um, elections, and you, you know, the, the, you kind of talked about this a little bit in terms of um, uh, poll workers. I just want to know when do you pay them? Do you pay them directly after the election, or do you, or do you let some time go by? And from my understanding, it's a hundred and fifty dollars that they get paid. And the reason why I'm asking that is, does this budget uh, cover an increase in payment? Is it is it is it relatable or does it um God, I'm trying to think of the word here. Is it is it something where you know where it kinda it takes into account, you know, inflationary costs and things of that nature? Yeah. Is it indexed so, to bring inflation? Uh, here we go. Yeah, so um student chair, uh homeworker pay rolls are monumental tax that is shared uh not just with us but through uh payroll right and uh, and we work together uh with that and it doesn't happen overnight unfortunately <laughs> and uh the pay we have several different classifications about how many about seven. Uh, that's all. No. we have at least uh, uh 10 different poll worker classifications which means 10 different uh pay rates uh $150 is one classification. Okay. So, and, and that's, I think, the lowest paid coordinator makes $150, and it's not very many of those. Uh, we probably pay more than uh, our co-workers, more than anyone in the state. Um, and, and we do that for a number of reasons. Uh, we do it on purpose, uh, and, and our, because our co-workers have more work to do. Um, every dollar that I get in grants and every dollar that I get uh, that the, the, the city that you all allow me in terms of increases, it typically goes to poll worker pay, typically. Um, as you know, or, or may not know, we hire up to 10,000 poll workers depending on the election. And all those poll workers have to be paid. And for the most part, our poll workers are paid anywhere between four and six weeks after election day. Um, but now uh, the city is requiring uh, a little different um, way, method of which to pay. Chris, can you talk about uh, what we have to go through now with co-worker pay? One thing I know when we have troubles with co-workers getting paid is that uh, a lot of our co-workers are, are kind of transient. You know, they move, they move, and they don't let us know right away. So when you don't let us know, I mean, I mean the Department of Elections is probably the last person that they want to let know that they've moved, but when that happens, it delays their pay. 
So typically, the greater majority of our co-workers, I say 90% of our co-workers get paid between the four to six weeks after election day. However, we do have that number of co-workers that have issues. Maybe it got lost in the mail. Maybe somebody uh, cashed their check or that they moved and we didn't know. Is Ruben here? Oh, Ruben, you better get to this thing. Are, 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 any other uh, questions about co-worker pay? Uh, 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 our deputy director of education and training uh, who handles that is here to address. No, that but was no, Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But through the chair, typically we do pay between four and six weeks. Uh, one of the hangups within uh, going through accounts payable, if a voter, I mean, uh, if a, a poll worker moves uh, within the time that we are getting ready to submit their uh, stipend to accounts payable, that's a delay. Then they have to be pulled back from accounts payable, then goes through procurement for them to straighten out the W-9 for them, and then sent back to accounts payable, which causes a delay uh, in them getting paid. But we try to pay them as quickly as possible, uh, as clerk mentioned, as, as fast as we, we start, we start processing on election night. We do. We start processing on election night, preparing, uh, the ledger board to go to accounts payable and uh, they print the check, get them back to us. We double check and then mail them out to the poll workers. No, that's actually, if I, I just wanted to just also just ask a follow up of my main man, I'm uh, president. Um, I just wanted to ask um, so, do you have like an average across all those classifications? Of what you pay is that is it is it linked to the minimum wage or is it just what is that? And if you could send me those classifications via the email, I appreciate it just so I can see so I can know. No problem, we can do that. We can we can send you each yeah. classification. Yeah. Do, you, um, do, average pay. do you have an average? Average pay is, uh, average pay is approximately uh, three hundred and seventy-five dollars. Okay. 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 Thank you. So it also depends on their responsibility. Naturally, our supervisors there are paid much more uh, than our than our other regular poll workers. Well, look, I just think that's important because I've, I've gotten some people who talk to me about getting paid, wanting to get paid. Because listen, I think that your election workers are tremendous, and I think you guys are doing. I think you're doing a great job overall, man on clerk. But I think that for me. Thanks can really make the difference between great, because I've been in some situations where the poll workers, it's before your time, but the poll workers weren't particularly nice and friendly, and so it kind of ruined the whole, you know, um, experience for me. Some people were a little bit too angry, and then there were people, you know, that were very friendly and very jovial where I vote at, you know what I mean? And it just, it totally, it makes a difference, you know, and you get that little sticker, you get that little smile, you know, but it's just, you feel differently Going into that, and I'm a vibe guy, so you feel that it differently when you feel that energy than when you feel, you know, help me, I don't let the official get me out of here type of deal. So That's thank right. you. I appreciate I just want to say thank you, and I appreciate your time. All right. Thank you. We appreciate you as well. All right. Thank you. Uh, yes, Mr. Corley. Thank you, Madam President. Just real quick. So earlier it was uh, indicated that the cost for rental and utilities, parking, has been shifted. Uh, rental and utilities been shifted to 90 departmental and parking to um, 
human resources. So I guess we're going to see that across the board as the departments come before city council. So that's one thing. But I guess the other thing is, has the overall cost, though, increased citywide? And what pressure is that having on the budget overall? So if Mr. Watson maybe can speak to that now or give you something um, in writing so that moving forward we'll know the impact of those um, costs moving forward. Thank you, Mr. Watson. Uh, Madam President, uh, and, and thank you for raising that issue, Mr. Corley. I want to make sure that these changes are very clear to not only all the council members, but the public as well. Um, so off the top of my head, both rent and utilities did go up in this budget in the general fund. And to be clear, when we talk about these movements of budgets, it's only the general fund side. Um, but what we'll do back at my office is we'll prepare a, a master sheet that shows these movements for all departments so that um, we can kind of have that guide for, for everyone involved so that we're um, not only will it answer a lot of the questions that have come up, but can just be a useful reference for everyone to understand that uh, how much came out of which budgets and where did it uh, go, just as was discussed earlier today. Uh, again, it's uh, specifically uh, central rent expenses, utilities expenses, and the employee parking. Um, these costs that you know can be fluid from department to department, especially as we look at, and we talked about a little bit today, um, space planning changes and things like that. And so by budgeting it centrally, we can make sure all the right money is available to pay those bills when they come due. But we'll provide a master sheet for everyone's benefit uh, and reference throughout the rest of this process. All right. Thank you, Mr. Watson. All right. Thank you. Uh, yes, Member Johnson. Thank you, Madam President. Uh, Mr. Watson, can you also include any uh, incremental changes? So if you're going to break it down by um, department, can you include incremental changes for rent or utilities or anything um, so that we can see if rent has increased for any particular area? So uh, through the chair to Member Johnson. So uh, uh, yes, we can attempt to do that. Um, Part of what we shifted, though, were just the amounts that were from last year's budget. Uh, right now, I mean, to be quite frank, one of the reasons why we did this is um, the square footage for each department, especially in the Coleman and Young Municipal Center, has changed so much over the last few years that the original budgets for a given department um, wasn't even necessarily reflective anymore of their exact usage. And so by consolidating it, um, we, you know, we're, again, not only have, have better control over the budget for rent, but we, we can and will, um, when we can, provide a report of who's using you know, what amount of space. Uh, right now, the existing budget amounts or the pre-consolidation budget amounts is certainly an indication, but there's been a lot of movement even in the last you know, six, month, six to 12 months that um, the original budget amounts uh, might not tell you the full story. So what we can absolutely do is, to Mr. Corley's question, is show how much since last year has rent expenses gone up and why. Um, I know actually the Joint Building Authority was just having their budget meetings about future rent uh, as recently as I think it was yesterday morning. So that will provide some additional information as well. Thank you. Um, very, very quickly. So it sounds like you're saying we're using less space, but the overall costs have gone up. Uh, so through the chair to, Ma uh, to Member Johnson. So, so not that we're necessarily using space. It's that some departments are using less and some are using more. Um, so, for example, uh, I know uh, the law department uh, has additional square footage on the eighth floor that our accounting division used to use, it just as one small example. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Madam President. Okay. Thank you, Member Johnson. 
All right. Thank you again to our uh, Madam Clerk and to the uh, staff. We appreciate you guys, all the work that you all do. We're going to turn now to our general public comment. How many hands do we have raised? Madam President, we currently have seven hands raised for public comment. Okay. Our first caller is Cindy Dara. Good afternoon, Ms. Dara. You have two minutes for public comment. Uh, yeah, we had two public hearings, one on the uh, city clerk's office and one on the Department of Elections. And I think that we need to have two public comments on this, not just one. I've written out three pages right now. I don't have time to read them all. I will email them to you. But I've got questions that I want you to pursue. Uh, and uh, the, the thing on the election, well, first of all, the clerk's office, I want to have written minutes put on the website from the transcript of the Zoom t subtitles that you could post immediately as unofficial Zoom transcript. So people know right away what was done that day and they can respond to it without looking through a video. Uh, some people can read faster than I can. I can't read fast, but the people who can would rather do that. Than, uh, but it is good you're getting that new software. But I still say you need that. You need to open up the, the uh, council chat and the number of participants and who's participating if they want to be known. Uh, that's in on the meeting with you instead of just closing the chat where we can't do anything but comment during the one minute, sometimes public comment. If you want people to care, they have to know. We've got a right to know, not just a right to vote. And you could put these contracts up on the website before you vote on them and give people a time to, to look at them and respond because the people have the street experience that you don't. And many of the workers that work there and worked like that woman that came on for public lighting. I'd like to meet with her because I worked there for four years. And maybe we can give you some good information. But uh, we seldom get responses to our public comments. The city of Detroit's the only place where you have this loud buzzer interrupting somebody in the middle of their sentence. All right. Thank you so much, Ms. Dara. Uh, yes, Member Durha. Thank you, Madam President. And, and I just wanted to quickly respond because we kind of heard this in BFA as well and just wanted to get some clarity from maybe Mr. Whitaker, our parliamentarian. With our budget hearings, we're only required to have one public comment a day. I think we're on our second one now, but I think, you know, by the rules, we're only required to have one. And I, I didn't get a chance to respond to that in the BFA committee, but thought this would be the appropriate time to do that through you, Madam President, to Mr. Whitaker. Yes, thank you for raising that, <clears throat> Mr. Madam President. Yes. Uh, this is not a public hearing. This is a hearing that allows counsel to hear from the departments relative to your consideration of the budget that's before you. It is not a public hearing. The clerk has posted in the agenda today a, a public comment after every hearing. That is not necessary. Mm -hmm. Council can, can determine whether or not it wants to have a public comment after every, but they don't have to. You just have to have one a day. Yep. Thank you. 
and we are on our second one for today, and um, we will continue to move forward starting tomorrow. Every two public hearings, excuse me, every two budget department hearings, we will have a public comment. So there will be two opportunities for public comment for each uh, session. All right, thank you, Member Durha. Our next caller, please. Madam President, the next caller is Carol Hughes. All right, Ms. Hughes, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, honorable body. Uh, may I be heard? Yes, you can. Yeah, Carolyn Hughes. Yes, um, I know you all hate the public. You hate for us to speak to you. You hate for us to say anything. But one of the questions I would have asked had I been allowed to, which I should have been, was why are they publishing in the paper, a paper that uh, the majority of the charters don't read uh, the legal news? So why wouldn't they? Put it in a publication that was more circulated among the people who actually read that periodical. But my other question is, would have been, um, was the one that uh, Councilman Young alluded to, but it was more to the point where <clears throat> can we be sure we're having fair elections? Um, Mike Duggan getting an office was a mystery to me. He was a write-in candidate, and mm, that doesn't really bode well. And then we try to have an election recount, and we can't because, oh, my goodness, <laughs> there are too many errors. And so we don't have anybody to look for because it had been canvassed by the state and Wayne County. So the checks on the checks to so the checks and balances didn't work. So – I'm going to leave you with this. It's not how many people come out to vote, but it's who counts the vote. Okay, so that's a very important part of the process. And if you don't care, we care. Uh, you don't seem to care about anything we care about. You don't let us ask questions. You want to limit us uh, in our public comments. You don't really want us to say anything. I had another question for the clerk. Uh, I see some documents that uh, 2004, the journal for 2004, appears to have been shredded, and I wanted to know if there was another copy. And uh, there are some public hearings or public agendas that are not uh, translated, and I'm with Ms. Dara. Let's have uh, all of it. All right. Thank you, Ms. Hughes. Madam President, the next caller ends in 434. If caller 434 can unmute. Uh, greetings. Uh, the my concern is when are we going to be in compliance with the Open Meetings Act? And the gentleman before said the legal news. It says in the Open Meetings Act, it's a paper of general circulation. That means that you go into the gas station, you can buy the newspaper and have the amount, the notice in it. That's real simple. This legal news scam is to block access to what's taking place. It's very clear. It doesn't take any great logic or intelligence to recognize what this legal news scam is. It has to be ended to have any integrity in this process. And it's outlawed. It's not in the law. It's in the law. Also, the notice has to be visible from outside of the building of the notices when the building is closed. 
That means you can go up to an outside window and see what the schedule is. You can make it for weeks ahead, but it has to be visible. And that bulletin board that you have inside the lobby is a joke. It's an insult. So let's move it up to the minimum standard of the Open Meetings Act. Not just, uh, oh, well, this is Detroit. So that's my request. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mr. Law. Madam President, the next caller ends in 534. Yes, hello, may I be heard? Yes, good afternoon. Yes, well, uh, I second the emotions of the last callers. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like you really want to hear from us. This is our money you're about to spend. Um, the clerk does not always timely post agendas, such as the planning department meeting tomorrow about the district Detroit three-quarter of a billion dollar goodie package for the billionaires. That wasn't posted at 11.40 a.m., but some other stuff was, and then it pops up. Also, the city clerk is not keeping all city council records, or the law department's not telling me the truth. I FOIA'd uh, uh, city council-approved uh, land bank records, and I was told that the city doesn't have them. Also, how much are you paying the election supervisors? Last year, I heard it was $1,500 a day, but oh, I didn't get a call back to work down at the TCF Center. And what's going on that on November 8th, I was harassed by police at the Detroit Election Department, falsely accused of interfering with voters. Then Gina Avery Walker came down, falsely accused me of loitering when I was reading the election connection sample ballot, and they physically put their hands on me and threw me out of the building. So how do you expect us to have faith in the integrity of the vote when people act like this. And who are you hiring? I noticed a bunch of AKA sorority sisters of, of, of Kamala Harris and, 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 and Janice Winfrey seem to get hired. Now, if they were Detroiters, that's okay. But if they were not Detroiters, you should be hiring Detroiters first. Remember, that's how we grow our tax base, by hiring Detroiters. So how, don't give us just the average, Mr. Young. Tell us the, how much everybody's getting paid, because it sounds like bribery. And really, you know, if you really cared about the youth being involved, we'd, we'd, we'd use the ARPA funding to reopen the rec centers and libraries instead of run around demolishing Detroit. So maybe that's why young people don't get out and vote, because they feel like the systems are corrupted and that they don't matter, because they don't see. All right. Thank you, Ms. Warwick. Madam President, the next caller is Karen Winston. Hello? Yes. Good afternoon. Yeah, good, af yeah, good afternoon. Oh, uh, let's see. It's a lot, but I, I uh, Cindy Dara, I do know you, and we had lunch together once in the lunchroom. We spent a long time, but yeah, I do know you. Um, so uh, we we need to. You guys need to take a look at the Open Meetings Act seriously. There are, uh, and then even when they're telling you that's a minimum, you can do more. So just because it said you only got, you could decide, you could still decide to let us speak more. Case in point, you got three people, give us a minute or two is ridiculous. So I'm just saying that you should encourage, because uh, it helps you learn, whether you realize it or not, we can help you learn things that you don't know. So that's one thing. Now, um, let me see, I've got a lot of things. Um, when it comes to uh, our, the ADA, now, there's a class you can take, so there's no reason, uh, and you guys are not being familiar with what the laws are for, for ADA. 
And there's also a BA, and that's uh, Access Barrier uh, Act. So you got to have, you can't have barriers. You know, you're supposed to have three doors that the uh, handicapped or that the, uh, you know, disabled people can use. And it shouldn't be in the back of the building. So there's a lot of rules that go along with this. You know, people just can't sit up and say, well, I think I'm going to do this today and do that tomorrow. We got to treat everybody the same. That's one thing I learned being a public employee. You can't treat me like crap and treat this person like heaven. Everybody has to be treated the same. And that's one thing you guys need to know. And you need to learn it because you can create a lot of animosity that's unnecessary. Um, that's another thing. Uh, let's see. Oh, our plan B's. We got to have some plan B's around here. You know, we can't just wait till crap happens and then try to figure out what to do. Mass text, mass paging. We were doing that, that back in 2001. You can put everybody's name in a certain machine and you can send out a page and you can contact everybody and tell them what you want them to know right away. It doesn't cost very much. That's when we use pagers. Thanks. All right, thank you. Madam President, the next caller is Motor City Rue. Well, Irving Cordy, you need to stop it. February the 8th, you went in front of city council and you lied on camera about revenue bonds, restructuring bonds, refunding bonds, UTGO, LGTO bonds, all forms of municipal bonds requiring the notification to the public before you issue the bonds. Whether it's public hearing, whether it's voter approval, direct voter approval, or notice to referendum. All municipal bonds require public notice. Now, Mary Sheffield, what kind of hypocritical oath did you take and what kind of hypocritical bag are you working out of? Now, Angela. Angela Whitfield Callaway, you a lawyer. Have you read the information given to you? Have you read the state law regarding municipal bonds? There's been hundreds of millions of dollars worth of municipal bonds issued by the city of Detroit not notification to the public. Have you informed the rest of the council with your legal expertise about what's going on? Now, ain't no freaking way that this man, the bishop, who's been doing the good works of the Lord around the city of Detroit for decades, his God, his God's will and his God's graciousness. Crafty Mike and Crafty Conrad the filed a suit against this man talking about some tall grass He's, and it's a nuisance and they're trying to do what? Y'all need to understand that what well, need to be said, shit, shit. It need to be said just like it need to be said and somebody need to say it. Ain't no way y'all should be pursuing this suit. Y'all need to back the F up off Bishop and perfecting church with this nonsense. Y'all giving that money to Stephen Ross and Chris Illich? All right, thank you. Madam President, the last caller is Denise Lyles. Ms. Lyles, good afternoon. Honorable body. Uh, this is for the elections. Uh, a couple of things. One, you you spoke on how you have someone posted if there's been a change at the building or something of that nature and it put up on the building. And I know in the Dexter Linwood area, we used to vote at Central. 
when they changed that, there was no notification that went out. There was nothing or no one up there because people called me for 30 to 40 minutes until I initiated a phone tree to let, after I found out that it was voting or voting place had been moved to Northwest. And to my understanding, there was no damage to the building. It was just changed. Now, when we get to Northwest, uh, for people in, with disabilities or seniors, it was very inactive uh, uh, act to be able to activate it. Active because you had steps and then where they were voting, the voting area was so far away from the initial entrance. That's hard on seniors. I know you guys are busy with a lot of things, but these are long standing legacy Detroiters or seniors and people with disabilities. And we need to make sure things are accessible for them. Thank you guys for all you do. Have a great afternoon. All right. Thank you. You as well, Ms. Lyles. Um, and that will conclude our general public comment um, to Madam Clerk and the team over there. Uh, if you don't mind responding just to a couple of the comments, I know one was raised about the advertising and more than just the legal news. And then the last concern around um, the notification for uh, polls changing. Yeah, so um, the notification about polls changing is bad. That's what we do. Uh, I'm not sure what happened with that particular incident, so I really can't speak specifically to that. But what I said initially is this is what stands as standard operating procedures in this building as it relates to the closing of a policy location within a short notice. Um, what was the other? Oh, the legal news. So, you know, there are uh, requirements and uh, mandates as to where you can advertise. The, the certain uh, uh, notification has to have a distribution of X number of, uh, of distribution numbers. And uh, it's another requirement that uh, we must meet. And it's just right now, but I'll be happy to share with you, uh, Council uh, President, that you can share with uh, your constituents. Okay. Madam, right. Madam President. Yes, Mr. Whitaker. That issue about publications in the legal news has come up often. Mm -hmm. And I think council and the public might be helped if you give the assignment to both LPD and law to, us, to give you a, a writing as to why the legal news is used as opposed to the Detroit News mm -hmm. or the Free Press or the Chronicle or any other publication. I think it would be helpful to have a writing or maybe several writings that will fully explain why the legal news is the, is the paper of choice. All right. Thank you for that, Mr. Whitaker. Is there a motion, colleagues? Sure. All right. Motion has been made. Hearing no objections, that uh, action will be taken. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Whitaker. All right. Thank you again, Madam Clerk and uh, everyone who has joined us. We appreciate your time. Uh, colleagues, if there's no additional questions uh, to come before us today, we will stand adjourned. Our next budget hearing will start tomorrow at uh, 10 a.m. 10 a.m. This meeting will stand adjourned. Thank you.